to episode 85 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 16th of March, 2020. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Happy St. Patrick's Day, not Patty's Day. <laughs> Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Yeah, that's not until tomorrow, Phelan, although that's when people will be able to listen to this, so I suppose that's fair enough. So, yeah, the world seems to be um, going to shit. The apocalypse is upon us. And uh, I've been talking about Foss Talk Live for a long time, happening on June the 20th. Well, is it happening, is the question. I honestly don't know. Uh, I thought I'd ask you guys on air what you think I should do about this. Well, I think the situation at the moment is very fluid. Yeah, I think at the very least, nobody should be buying expensive hotels or even cheap hotels or air travel at the moment. Unless it's refundable. I mean, things like the Premier Inn, you can usually pay an extra five or ten quid. It's quite a lot more than that. I think it's about an extra 20 or 30 quid, so... Oh, mm, I see. Too late for me. Oh, right. I'll come into London and have a pint with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, there's the fact that don't cancel things yet because they may well introduce policies that let you cancel for goodwill or whatever. Mm. Um, so I'm not cancelling this event yet, but... It really depends how things work out. The situation is very fluid. It could go either way at this point. I feel like maybe I should just cancel it now and put everyone out of their misery and just, you know, give everyone enough heads up. But then what if things work out and it all goes away and it's fine? I don't know. Well, we could, could we do something casual? You know what? If it's a nice day and we're allowed to travel, let's go for a beer. That's not a terrible idea. I think... I think I'm going to wait another couple of weeks at least and then hopefully make a decision. Um, we'll see see where things are in a couple of weeks when we record this again and at that point make the decision or at least uh, update people on it. But I'm, I'm not cancelling it just yet. So if you do want tickets, uh, they are still available, fustalk.com. But yeah, don't be booking unrefundable travel and accommodation, I think. Do you think, I mean, we haven't talked about this off air, but do you think it's worth postponing it for six months and not doing it at the same kind of date? Well, the thing is that I only really want to do it in summer. Hmm. Um, the venue, I don't even know what the availability is going to be like. So, uh, I mean, there may be other venues available. I, I don't know, but it feels like it either happens then or we just cancel it and then just see what happens. I'm with you on that one, Joe. I think that part of the fun was standing around outside having a drink and you know a bit of warm weather when we got there um and the same goes for a, an online event i'm not really interested in going down that route either I, the the joy of it is getting together with people and seeing people and, and talking to them face to face so i i don't know maybe it's just me but i'm not bothered yeah definitely things like linux fest northwest that i was supposed to go to i think they're looking into doing an online thing and I, I mean i understand why people want to do it if they've got sponsors and all the rest of it but it's just not something that i want to do it's just it's it, it's not what the event is about so um it's either happening or not happening if someone if it doesn't happen and someone wants to do some sort of online thing then you know i'm happy to show up on a mumble server or video or whatever but um i i just i don't want to organize that it's just not what it's about so Let's do a little bit of news then. And the big news today is that GitHub has bought NPM. I think that's not exactly the truth of it, is it, given that uh, Microsoft owns GitHub, so it's Microsoft has bought NPM. Yes, and you're right. Um, GitHub buys NPM is the news story, and I don't think there's a single mention of Microsoft in the press release. 
Um, so Microsoft is successfully trying to distance itself from its successful brands, maybe, um, and doesn't want to scare off the MPM community with maybe uh, visions of what Microsoft used to be, but not anymore now that it loves open source. Now, presumably, Phelan, you just think that's a load of JavaScript pish and you're not even interested in NPM. Is, is it JavaScript or is it JScript? I can't remember. Was that not the Microsoft knockoff at the time back in the day? <laughs> but, uh, sorry, I shouldn't keep bringing these things up, I'm told. So, uh, yeah, I, I quite frankly don't care. I, I really couldn't care less of the slightest. I just I don't understand why NPM has all these difficulties so bad compared to the likes of Python. I mean, I know you will find the Python packages that are uh, sort of dodgy or crypto miners or God knows what. But I mean, maybe if they make this open source and they are apparently looking into some sort of security system that they're going to do through it, if they opened all those things up, made them available to other types of languages and projects, that'd be pretty good. But otherwise, I don't care. Isn't there an argument that maybe under GitHub's stewardship, things will get better for NPM because they've had a lot of problems, haven't they, with um, people pulling packages and malware getting in there and stuff. Maybe it's ultimately a good thing. I know it sounds weird that Microsoft being in charge would be good, but maybe it is. I think that's a good point. Um, I can't really complain about, so far, its custodianship of GitHub. Um, I think they've very sensibly... Well, I don't know day-to-day what they're doing, but so far I have no complaints about what they're doing with GitHub. Yeah, that seems to be the consensus. All right, well, definitely bad news, and that is that Virgin Media has leaked what they're calling limited contact info, which means all sorts, no payment information, it seems, but uh, possibly people's requests to either enable or disable porn filters, which... uh, yeah, I'm a Virgin Media customer. I didn't get an email about this, so uh, I'm hoping that it's all good. Although I've never had to either enable or disable any sort of filters, I, I think. I, I don't know. I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> well, I would just like to point out, and I have taken a screenshot because I know you won't believe me, that there are 69 comments on this, on the <laughs> register. <laughs> nice. Someone has fixed that counter, I'm thinking. <laughs> Yeah, so some of the other data, um, access to X-rated websites, gambling websites. Um, it says unique IDs of stolen cell phones. I don't really know what that means, if it means phone numbers or IMEI numbers or what. Um, it's it's all a bit uh, shrouded in mystery. But, yeah, people who have enabled or disabled uh, porn, uh, porn sites are going to be somewhat embarrassed. There's going to be a few conversations over the breakfast table in the coming weeks. Well, except that this data was available online. It was just not secured for, I think, 10 months. But that's not necessarily to say that anyone actually accessed it before this security researcher found it. So maybe it wasn't leaked. I mean, Virgin say that some at least one person accessed it. Well, hopefully it was the security researcher who has disclosed this relatively responsibly. Mm, yeah, but uh, at least one person. Is that what they said? Yeah, but somehow mm. they don't know how to grab their logs or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they know at least one person's accessed it. Well, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. The problem is that where I am in London, the only way to get decent internet is with Virgin Media. I can't even get BT Infinity. So I could get loads of DSL, uh, but that'd be like six megabit or something, which is like the stone age. Whereas with version, I can get 350. 
or sometimes even like 400 plus in the middle of the night, which is nice. So they do have a monopoly. So I'm just fucked. I just have to keep using Virgin while I'm here. Is their service actually any good, though? Because I know a couple of other people who are with them or have been with them in the past, um, and they seem to say, well, they seem to have all sorts of reliability problems. It's up and down all the time. Well, I'm a heavy user of the internet, and um, it does have some reliability problems here and there, but I've heard horror stories from people on BT and stuff, so... I'd say probably 7 out of 10 in terms of reliability. Mm. All right, well, more bad news then, and that is that Half-Life Alex, which is to be released in about a week, is not going to have Linux support. The not having Linux support isn't exactly news, but it's relevant again now because it's coming out soon. Remind us what this is, Graham. I think this might be one of the most anticipated game releases of the last quarter of a century. I mean... At least in certain kind of gamer circles, you know, the um, the Half-Life games that were created by Valve and actually created Valve enabled them to, it forced them to create the platform that became Steam and then, you know, begat their entire future and success. Half-Life was, there was Half-Life 1 in the 90s and Half-Life 2 and Episodes 1 and 2 that went along with that. And so everyone's been waiting for Half-Life 3. This isn't it. Half-Life Alex is a prequel to Half-Life 2 set in VR. Um, but since they announced this, since Valve announced this, the VR headsets have instantly sold out. They haven't been able to build them quickly enough. And the anticipation for this release is huge. We know that Valve has been pushing Linux a lot. They switched to Vulkan. Um, we've talked about Proton and the fact that we thought they may introduce a streaming service. So it's a surprise, I think, coming as canonical as it does from Valve itself, that one of their top games isn't. It's not a surprise to me because I've tried VR on the using their software and it's so flaky and it wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if this is simply because their their VR stack isn't good enough rather than the game not working on Linux so you'll be running this on Windows then I do actually have Windows just for games yeah and I don't play that many games but I have a Windows 10 license so I, I keep that around for games do you have a VR headset as well yeah I have which one have you got I have got a Valve Index. And have you got that bar fight game? I haven't, no. Oh. There's um, this Gorn, which is a really good kind of... Oh, no, I'm not going to go down this route. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seriously tempted to get one. Having uh, Popey shared a video with me uh, earlier this week, or no, well, it's Monday, last week, let's say, um, and it had clips of that bar fight game in, and I was cracking up. So I'm seriously tempted to get it now. But I looked at the cost and thought, yeah, maybe I'll wait a little while. Well, actually, I think the Oculus devices, which are in the UK anyway, just a couple of hundred pounds, they link to your PC now and they work with Steam VR, which is the kind of open PC platform works on Linux as well. Um, so you don't have to. And they're almost as good as the Index. The Index is very expensive, really, for what it is. Um, so you kind of get 80 or 90% of the way there for a couple of hundred quid. Oh, wow. If you've got okay. the GPU, you do need the GPU. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. I'll talk to you about that later. And more importantly, I think there's a Plasma desktop available in VR. Excellent. I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> <laughs> so other potentially good news is that the Pinebook Pro will be up for pre-order again on March the 18th, which is, if I'm not mistaken, Wednesday this week. So very soon. Um, and will ship with Manjaro KDE by default. There is a big caveat here, and that is that obviously this is dependent on supply chains actually working and everything, which it looks like they will be, and it will be shipping in early May. But 
with anything in these uncertain times, who knows? I mean, I still don't have the pine find that I bought. I think that's been held up because of this virus bullshit. So who knows what might happen? But all being well, people will have their Pinebrook Pros in early May. I think they'll do quite well. There's been a lot of buzz about this. Any of you tempted? Oh, very tempted. I just, I, I still have my five-year-old Gen 2 uh, Sputnik and uh, it, it still works great. If I drop it down the staircase, I'll definitely get one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very tempted as well. I've discovered this week that my, my Mac that I use with Linux on it doesn't, the keyboard doesn't work unless the power supply is plugged in. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's the EFI as well, because I, de- I have to decrypt my hard drive before it even boots anything. So Wow. So it's just basically a desktop at this point. Yeah, yeah. And there's some more stuff in this monthly update from Pine64 as well about the uh, the various operating systems for the Pine phone. I tried Debian with Fosh uh, yesterday, and that was pretty good. I think Fosh is is looking pretty nice and pretty well-developed at this point. That's the, the thing that Purism made for the uh, Libra 5. Um, as a shell, I mean, it is GTK, it is Gnome-based, so obviously you're going to hate it, Fenin, but it is probably among the more functional shells for the phone. So it's good to see that. And having proper Debian as well is pretty nice. Uh, see, they've got uh, covers for the phones as well, which it, you might laugh, but it's probably one of the most important things in a phone is to have a decent cover. The amount of times I would have smashed mine by now. Yeah, there's kind of a hard shell one and a soft one as well, which is pretty nice. But who knows when there'll be more Pine phones available. It all depends on this uh, supply chain situation. So KDE Corner then, what's going on there? Um, just a very small update about the, the mobile stuff, funnily enough, as you mentioned with uh, the Pine phone. So they're obviously working away on making a, a good system for that. And uh, there's some better Wayland integration with a keyboard, especially for things with a phone. Um, they've optimized some EGL stuff. So that's like the the... Uh, mobile version OpenGL to help the graphics chips that obviously run better. And uh, they've just been going on about how they're actually going to upgrade a lot of the lower libraries for some of their Android apps um, up to QT 5.14. So that's good and kind of important with this whole God knows how it's all going to turn out uh, QT library licensing stuff that if they're able to move a lot of that stuff up because I mean that was one of the issues where things were sticking was things like the uh, Krita, the mobile apps and things so if they can move those along and maybe at a better pace then that would make that less of a problem in the future and um, yeah I recommend anybody to try out some of those apps Um, I did a a work trip last week and I used Kaotinary properly on my phone which is quite interesting (laughs) (laughs) are you shocked (laughs) the worst part is that you can click on your status for all the flights that you've bought and it tells you how much of the planet you've murdered with all the CO2 (laughs) I was like fuck off it's a different plane there's not much fucking CO2 from that plane so yeah bastards (laughs) bastards <laughs> and does it tell you which ones are cancelled as well then uh, yes <laughs> so um yeah and uh, funnily enough uh, just uh today uh katie frameworks 568 got released and there's a tiny wee thing that's really nice in it is the fact that telegram uses a totally different way of doing notification icons uh previous to this if you you were stuck with that awful blue circle with the white airplane thing in it and uh, the only way to override that was to dump several hundred images into uh, the directory in your your home folder. But now it's 
following the proper standard. So uh, KD can override that with a beautiful new icon. Looks very shiny and nice. Actually, on that note, I noticed that the Telegram icon on my KD panels now shows the number of unread messages, the actual standard icon. So I wonder if something's changed there. That's the snap of Telegram desktop. Oh, I don't know how that works with it. No, that's the only app I've seen do that. I never got on with the snap. It never quite worked the same way, and it was never updated quite as fast. I mean, no knock against snap, yeah, no, but it just, it just was a bit... I preferred using the other one, yeah. It started to offer spell checking, so um, my, my spelling's so bad that I just have to do that, otherwise I look so completely unprofessional. People would think if I started spelling stuff properly that I'd been like <laughs> subverted by some sort of spy because if, if, if my spelling came through correct. Yeah, obviously they don't have proper spell check on uh, that shitty KDE desktop you're using. We choose not to. We're living it real, man. And <laughs> um, what's this iCorner thing then? Well, in fact, I added this to KDE Corner. It was, um, it's a new 1.0 app actually sponsored by the foundation so it's part of it's part of plasma and it's i tried it out um at the moment i think you've got to build it but and it's it's rust i think it's using rust so it's one of the first applications in kde to be built using rust um and it's basically an icon previewer that allows icon designers to quickly see what their icons look like at various resolutions and on both light and dark backgrounds. And then save all that as like a single super SVG package to share with other designers or people who may be working on the app. So it's a simple program. It does a single job um, to help icon designers. But it's not, it's still nice and shows you how much effort they're putting in to design. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. Very much appreciated. And if you want to join them, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And there's various ways there. And remember, $5 or more on Patreon per month gets you an advert-free RSS feed. So take advantage of that. And if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets as they call them with full root access in data centers all over the world with really fast networking and super fast SSDs. And they offer Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS and FreeBSD and some container distros. But if you don't want to use one of those, you can upload your own custom image. They have loads of one-click apps like LAMP and LEMP stacks, WordPress, Discourse, GitLab, and it's really easy to set up. These droplets start from as little as $5 a month, and they scale all the way up to multiple cores and huge amounts of RAM and disk space. And they also have CPU-optimized droplets if you want just raw power and memory-optimized droplets if you need more of that. They have really simple backups that have saved my bacon once or twice, and cloud firewalls that can stop network traffic before it even gets to your VM. It's really simple to add extra storage to your droplet, whether that is block storage or object storage, depending on your needs. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. Right, so the world's going to shit, so let's have some fun instead of being all serious. This is a silly idea that we've come up with. I will ask you guys some questions uh, and then one of you has to shoehorn Linux into it because it's a Linux podcast. So, you know, we have to have Linux in there. Hopefully everyone will get the idea as we go along. Um, so the first question is, when will the first person be born on Mars? Now, Will, you have to shoehorn Linux into that question. 
Well, let me make a statement first. Let's assume that open source software is the way and the future, and that eventually all software will be written this way. Uh, and let's assume that that's not too far into the future. So I want to know when the first person will be born on Mars and when they will push their first commit to a Linux kernel. Well, this assumes that Linux will still be around by the time we get onto Mars and it won't have been replaced by Fuchsia or whatever. Mm. So when do we think people will go to Mars? That's the first question. How long away is it? They won't. That's very pessimistic. <laughs> but they won't. They'll be frazzled. There'll be Kentucky Fried Chickens arriving by the time they get there. I don't think they're ever going to get there. I think we are more likely to have a robot recompile its own kernel on the surface of the planet. In fact, we may have already had that. Well, that's right. Those Mars rovers were actually running Linux while well, they were on the, on the ground. A consideration here is that if people are sent to Mars, and it is a generational um, trip so that they've built a habitat and people are living there and breeding there, um, then all of the computers that they have around them need to be maintainable by the people that live there. You can't, you know, put a call into your call centre and have someone um, VNC onto your machine and, uh, you know, start fiddling around with it. You need all of the resources to support your life um, there with you and a part of that has to be around the computers that you're using I, I don't know some extraordinary bug happens and you have no abilities to resolve that bug then you're fucked so I think it's a foregone conclusion that when people do live on Mars for a long period of time they will have the source code to all of their computers with them Graham you're pretty pessimistic do you agree with Phelan that we'll never go there no I think I think we will go there some. I, maybe not in the near future. I think it makes much better sense to send robots there, but I think eventually we may have to go there <laughs> um, at some point. And of course, you know, some wealthy billionaire will probably make the trip. Um, as to whether that person will, those people will have to create Linux pull requests, I don't know. The pessimist in me is by then also thinks that maybe everything's so locked down that you, you create pull requests by proxy, you know, so you never actually have access to the source code and, and the AI. You request something through the AI to be changed or Google. I'm, I'm sorry, Dave. I can't let you do that. <laughs> I think that as long as uh, this virus shit doesn't kill me, that I will see someone go to Mars in my lifetime. I just I have to be optimistic about this. It's like it's, I think it's one of the only things that I'm ultimately optimistic about is space travel because we just have no choice. Like it's the, the final frontier and all that. I think that we will go there. I think by the time we get a colony on Mars, that's going to be quite some time away, and that's going to be probably more than a hundred years. Um, and so it'll be twenty-one something probably by the time someone is uh, is actually born on Mars, but. In terms of Linux and stuff, will it still be around in 100 years? I suppose that's the big question here. If if it does take that long, will things have become locked down? I think it's going to be one of those cyclical things where things will be pushed to a breaking point where, where computers or devices or whatever they are, brain implants, are locked down to such an extent um, that people then want to push back against that and there will be another open source software movement uh, and then that will grow to become a commercial entity and be exploited and be locked down and then the next one will spring up so i think that the concept will be around forever the concept of, of freedom and openness will always be there 
I don't think it will. I think, I think the the un, the subsystems will become so complex or made so complex on purpose, a little bit like the web is now, that you will never again have access to the kind of the code that runs on the CPU and and, the, and that actually runs those instructions. Everything will be abstracted, and where why where the code there may be like an open source layer running on top of that abstraction. The permissions for entering into those abstracted layers will be very guarded um, and proprietary, I think, um, because we, we will never be able to engineer a stack with enough complexity to handle all of the things that will need to be handled by life on Mars or the, the things that get us there. Why would that need to be any different to the computing power we've got today? Well, yeah, and, and it isn't open source now. You know, Gmail is an open source. Google Search is an open source. Um, the, the, almost every service you use on the web is an open source. Yeah. Hmm. You make me sad now because I can see that there would be <laughs> Mars Inc. Uh, or no, they already exist. I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, some kind of uh, a space company behind it and, and everything would be branded by them and, and owned by them um, for commercial gain. So, hmm. Yeah. This was supposed to be a bit of fun to cheer us up. What's going on? <laughs> you brought me into the discussion. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Yeah, textbook error. Although you did make me think about delicious Mars bars there, so <laughs> now I'm hungry as well. How many Easter eggs have you eaten today? <laughs> I haven't eaten any today, but I have eaten one so far. <laughs> Fucking heretic. <laughs> <laughs> so you won't need to deep fry them on Mars. The atmosphere will do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Right, let's do another question then. Uh, do you take all the craft off the ends of links before sharing them? So who's going to turn that into a Linux-based question? Okay, so how about something simple like, well, how would you share a link with like a, a Linux open source zealot? Would you make, do you make sure you get rid of all of that extra craft that's added to a URL or even reveal where you may have got the URL from? Or on purpose, troll them with the uh, the oh, Amazon yeah. stuff like I routinely do with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> the prime example of this is Twitter, where you, you can find out what client they're using by the, um, I can't remember what it is, there's a number on the end of it, and Android is a certain number, iOS is another one or whatever. But I always take that off at least. That's a good point, though. It's not always clear, especially if it's all kept within the same ecosystem. Like Twitter makes it very unclear whether a URL is being shortened and what's shortened it but like utm for example like in a in most links um mm. like a, a lot of publications that i get uh links out of from my rss reader um there's always all that shit on the end of it and uh, when i put the links in the show notes i have to take it all off but i don't know do you like take that stuff off when you share links with people i mean i'm all for free software but jesus christ if you're starting to route to urls really you have too much time on your hands <laughs> no, but i am that person that replies to an html email in plain text oh i fucking do that all right <laughs> <laughs> screw your formatting i think it depends who you're sharing it with if it's just between friends then yeah whatever if i was going to post it on a um, a public forum or a website or something like that, then I probably would strip all the crap out, unless it was an Amazon referral link, in which case <laughs> I'd leave it in there. All right, another question then. Is it possible to declare podcast or content bankruptcy? And by this, I mean my podcast player has got about 60 hours worth of podcasts queued up in it. Um, and I just will never, ever listen to them. Um, it's like declaring um, email bankruptcy where you just say, I'm, I'm never 
reading all those emails that just mark them all as read, forget about it. So is it possible to declare uh, podcast or content generally bankruptcy? I listen to lots of Linux podcasts. I will clearly never get through. Uh, and I actually have already several occasions just purged a bunch of them because they were like from two to three years ago. Yeah, I don't think that's relevant anymore. Is it possible to uh, ever listen to all the stuff that we consume? Well, the answer is clearly no, isn't it? So it's like, at what point do you just accept that you, you're not going to listen to them all anymore? Well, you say that, but a pandemic is ravaging across mm. the earth and I might actually get a chance to watch some TV shows that I want to do. But Keep it light, keep it light. Oh yeah, sorry, right, okay. Most podcast clients will allow you to set a limit, right? And then they'll just start deleting themselves. That's what I do on my phone in order to keep the file size down is just say, I don't know, a, a limit of two or three on my device. If the RSS feed keeps all of them, then that's great. I can go and pull them down whenever I need them. But on my device, I can just keep the last few. Um, and if I, for, for some reason, find myself listening to them um, on a regular basis, then maybe that limit should be increased. But otherwise, I just let the device manage the list for itself and don't care about it. It's like, it's like roll-ups and data collection, though. It's like, you know, when you're averaging out, like, precise data into five minute averages it's like it's painful or converting a, a color jpeg into black and white think of the data loss for the love of god <laughs> you can apply this to way more than just podcasts though whether it is all those shows that people tell you about that are on netflix or amazon mm. or whatever i hear breaking bad's quite good you don't tell me you've never seen breaking bad i've never seen this no me neither what that's almost as bad as finding out that Popey has never seen This Is Spinal Tap. What's, what's wrong with you people? But you could apply it to software as well to some extent. There's always new releases coming out, new distros and, and you know new desktop environment versions and everything. And at some point, you just feel a bit overwhelmed by it all, don't you? Yeah, I think some of that comes with age. Um, the older you get, the less shits you tend to give about things, um, which is why Ubuntu LTS is for the win because it only changes every four years and you don't need to fuss about all that new stuff. I think you'll find it changes every two years, but fair uh, enough. Yeah, two years. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I only oh, upgrade shit. every four years. <laughs> I think you better look back at a couple of those releases you were managing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's different with software, actually, because if I'd be in, I'm not so annoyed if I've missed out on a TV program that I really feel I should watch. But if I'm using an old piece of software or piece of software that doesn't do something as well as something that now has kind of revolutionized it and made it a lot easier to do, then I'd be annoyed. All right. Another one, a classic question. Are there too many breakfast cereals? <laughs> now, who's going who's gonna to make that about Linux? Graham? <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> Are there too many... Linux distributions. Yes. Yes, there are too many Linux distributions. I'm going to go out and say it. But if there were fewer Linux distributions, you wouldn't have as much choice. And some people are going to like cinnamon grams and some people are going to like <laughs> chocolate Weetabix. I know, but you should only be able to get um, just normal Weetabix and everyone should just enjoy that. <laughs> You'd be lucky to even get that in a couple of weeks probably. <laughs> But seriously, are there too many Linux distros then? There's an awful lot of shite out there, isn't there? Like, 
drive-by distros where someone has like released it once and then never updated it ever again. I think the real question is whether the, the fact that there are so many distributions stops those people from putting their energies into making one of the, the other distributions better. Um, and I think there are, probably does to an extent. I know exactly what you mean. But that being said, the type of person who wants to make their own distro is clearly only after the distro making bit. Mm. Like, I don't know why anybody would go out to all the effort of doing that on their own. Um, when you could, there's so many easier things to do with a distro, I'd imagine. Um, so clearly that is the bit that you really love. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it doesn't add anything, but maybe it does. I mean, maybe you can get sort of better build processes going. Maybe it helps. It is a shame that I couldn't contribute those to another project, but you might find a lot of the times if a project's too big, you're just not going to be able to unless you yourself become somewhat important or, you know, get noticed. Actually, I was thinking about this recently. I, I'd forgotten. I used to use Mandrake, um, and then there were some great KD packages built for Mandrake by Techstar. I don't know if you remember this. This is a long time ago. And Techstar created so many packages um, that they basically hosted them themselves, and then from hosting them themselves, spun up Mandrake into PC Linux OS. No way. Um, and... I suppose that's a really good example of there wasn't really, you didn't really need one, but at the same time, it created its own kind of niche, which then kind of created a whole, well, it kind of led to a whole different set of new users, really. Um, so in that respect, it is good that people are experimenting, but there's just so many, I mean, hundreds. Couldn't Shuttleworth just have made Debian better rather than making Ubuntu? No, they can't even put System D in Debian, so I think that was clearly impossible. Well, yeah, things have got a little bit uh, heated over in that camp, I suppose. I mean, I don't know. I want to try and remain impartial, but I remember interviewing Jeff War years and years and years ago, um, and he had a fascinating story about Mark going on like an icebreaker to the Antarctic or something and going through the Debian mailing list and underlining the people that he felt made a great contribution. And I don't think there was anything wrong in kind of trying something new and putting a load of great people together to see if they could take it further. Um, I mean, it's his prerogative, and he obviously had the finances to be able to do it. But it did, it did uh, the, the live CD and all that stuff. That was all new at the time as well. Didn't that come from Nopix? Yeah, they Nopix did do it first. But I think giving the discs away and really making it a big deal was um, what, what got it so popular in those early days. I think where things would fall down if there were only one Linux distribution is that it would become decision by committee and no one would ever innovate and no one would ever take risks and no one would ever do something different. And that's why we need that variety so that people can do different things and make a name for themselves and, you know, have their own values. And that's how things have moved forwards. But wouldn't we be better if it was more like the sort of standard capitalist model where you have Coke and Pepsi and, you know, two competing sort of almost equally popular things, you know, iPhones and Android phones. Like, if, if you have that, then there's at least some competition there, but at least there's a clearer focus. Right, but, I mean, Coke and Pepsi didn't... It, it wasn't always thus, and they were not the anointed ones. They came, they, they made a product, and their product was better than other people's who were also making soft drinks, you know. Um, 
And and so it is with Linux distributions. You've got the Coke and the Pepsi, but you've also got the Tab Clear and AC Cola in America, I think. All of those sorts of things. They existed and they were tried out and Parts of those would have been picked up by other brands and parts of them would have been fallen by the wayside. And that's the way that um, that the market needs to evolve. So I think it should be a free market. You should be allowed to have toffee-flavoured Weetabix if, uh, if you want it. If nobody buys it, then fine. That's that's you know the market reacting to your, um, your decisions. And if it becomes super popular, then you're onto something. Oh, yeah. And in your capitalist free world where you didn't allow Adolf Hitler to have Coke, <laughs> you end up with Fanta. So, yay, it's great. Have you just broken Godwin's law? I have, yeah. I was trying <laughs> to see if I could shoehorn that in there. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that's enough of that nonsense then. We'll return to normal service next time. Let us know what you thought of it as a silly segment. Maybe we might do it from time to time. We'll have to see. Uh, but until then. I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>